I was in conversation with Grace Lee Boggs, who was a friend and mentor, and I was speaking to her about her experience in organizing for liberation and movement building. And she talked about something that she learned from the women's movement was that we can't focus on like patriarchal models of leadership where there's like charismatic leaders that give us these slogans that we follow, but that we are instead like midwives who are supporting the birth of movements that are already emerging. Hello, and welcome back to the Emergent Strategy podcast hosted by the Emergent Strategy Ideation Institute. We are a collective of facilitators, mediators, trainers, and curious human beings interested in how we get in right relationship with change. Today, I'll be guiding our interview. I'm Adrian, our writer in residence. And as a gentle reminder, Emergent Strategy is the way we generate and reshape complex systems and patterns with relatively simple interactions. Today's guest is extra super special. And I know we say that about all of our guests, but this group that we're about to talk to, uh, we often talk about that emergent strategy and the work of complex movements, who is with us today, really were like fertilized in the same soil and grew out of this. And it's been this concurrent, beautiful process of deliberation and growth. So Complex Movements is a Detroit-based artist collective developing interactive performance work that illuminates connections between complex science and social justice movements to support the transformation of communities. And we have four members of the collective here with us today. And so I'm going to have everyone introduce yourself, what your role is in the collective, and anything else that you're like, I really want to make sure that the Emergent Strategy Podcast listeners know this about me as we start. Uh, Carlos, will you start us off? <laughs> sure. Hi, this is Carlos. I am uh, an artist that works with computers and visual and sonic art. And um, as part of Complex Movements, I help coordinate all of the, the technology aspects of what we do, primarily, I would say. And then, you know, we all kind of share different hats, but I'd say that's been my the bulk of my responsibilities in some of the past projects. And then as we move forward, seeing where that goes, possibly contributing on the music side as well. So we'll see. That's exciting. I think that's exciting. People if will I, know that's exciting if, when they I, get to I you. I think it's exciting. Yeah, yeah. that's pretty exciting. <laughs> Sage, with your new hat, this other hat on. <laughs> <laughs> Greetings, this is Sage. Uh, sometimes you hear me hosting this podcast every once in a while. It's part of Complex Movements. I'm the creative producer and cultural strategist. So it, within this collective, uh, we think a lot about the ways in which our work interacts with communities, uh, local organizing, how we work towards change, particularly as our work kind of moves around and, and tours. Um, so I'm excited to be here and uh, yeah, excited to be here in a, in a new way with complex movements. Beautiful. Wes. Okay. I'm Wes. And I would say very simply, my role is uh, art director. If I were to say anything and just trying to stay open as far as the role and not, not necessarily, um, be too tied down to a title or an expected way of being within the group. Mm, beautiful. And Ill. Hey, my name is Ill Weaver. My pronouns are they, them. And my role in complex movements is primarily um, cultural strategy, cultural organizing, co-producing, um, writing, media making, filmmaking, some editing. Formerly lyricism, 
um, though that's no longer the role that I play in the group, but was a major role that I played in the past. Um, and I'm super grateful to be here with you. This feels like a real uh, full circle moment. It really does. So here we are, everyone here getting to be somehow related to art and creating the world we want in the way we want. And I wanted to ask you all to just bring yourselves in in that way. How are you right now? Where are you at? Anyone can start. And I just, you know, just say your names as you answer so folks can start to learn your your four voices. All right. This is Carlos. I'll jump in. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, I think it's a little bit of a mixed bag, right? Like uh, many different ways of being at once. I think being in still the middle of a pandemic is been challenging in a lot of ways so I think that's at the consistently at the top of mind for me like just safety of myself and family members and friends and stuff um, and then the impacts of that you know socially societally yeah I'd say that that's probably one of the things that kind of is with me most throughout a day and then beyond that it's like that compounding with like all of the other aspects of of life um and you know happenings both locally and globally mm. thank you but i'll add also good like life is good i'm happy like so what's it, what i just want to sprinkles what's the happiness yeah like uh have a wonderful loving family and friends and mm. make music for fun sometimes and been like picking up playing soccer again so that's been a, like a fun way to get out and be outside so yeah just just so it's not all like yeah there's a balance in it all, there's right? a balance exactly mm. I'm, I keep thinking about how to achieve guilt-free balance like it's like I shouldn't feel guilty for having goodness inside of this time like that's what humans are supposed to be having mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. who's next this is ill and I'm feeling grateful to be here with y'all. Um, everything that Los, you said resonated with me deeply, absolutely. Like the compounded stress and trauma of this pandemic that people seem to be acting like is over is definitely weighing on me and many of my loved ones simultaneous to like, yeah, definitely mourning and grieving. Not just this uh, huge back-to-back -back massacres and you know, this like huge earthquake that just happened, where, like hundreds of people were killed. And not to mention like what's going on in Iran right now. Like my folks just came back from the climate protests in Egypt and, you know, in solidarity with all the political prisoners out there. Like it's so much going on constantly, not to mention just heartbreak happening in our movement space. Um, but I feel so grateful and like surrounded by good peoples and so uh, rare and special to get to be with you special people so i'm in good spirits and grateful this is wes and yeah i'm just just trying to find rest and inspiration and you know trying to take care moving into a time where i think i'm just trying to put a few things on pause in order to focus on certain things that will help me uh, transition into like new stages of my career and, and life and things like that. But just trying to find like a pause moment and dig deep into making those things happen. That's thrilling. May it be so. Sage, how are you? I'm well today. Uh, Got someone who sent me a song earlier called Choose to Be Well by Travion. And I was like, oh, sometimes you just choose to be well. I think I'm in a really deep process of meaning making over the last couple of months with in just in wonderful conversations, struggle, thoughtfulness about what, uh, what culture and what cultural workers can offer us in this conjuncture, like in this moment, in the midst of everything everyone has named, in the midst of some of the most absurd things. Uh, and when I say things, I mean 
Herschel Walker, you know, things that we've seen in the world, like, uh, um, and how do we be purposeful and thoughtful, compassionate and interconnected while we move through these interlocking crises to believe that there's a world in which we are, as Carla said, we can all be safe and well, you know, and that we can figure out a way to work towards it. Mm. That's beautiful. Yeah, I really appreciate that. I feel like I keep noticing my own edges. Like today was a day where I got held really well through some of my edge work, which was really helpful. And then I just had a swim. Like I just swam for like an hour because I'm like talking to y'all listeners. You don't know this, but normally we do these during the daytime and it's because I fall asleep very early. So I was like, okay, I got to prep for this like an athlete. Like how do I, I just have to prepare myself. Like what does Serena do when it's like the game is going to be at 11 o'clock in London and you got to be prepared. And I was like, well, then you just swim. And I just finished Viola Davis's memoir and it was really powerful. And it, it feels like a the really beautiful way to enter into this conversation about culture and what culture shifting can do. So um, often we name like this element or that element are the specific elements by which we believe you to be emergent strategists. <laughs> that doesn't feel relevant with this because it feels like every single element is part of how you all exist and what you all create. But I do want to say we see you all as emergent strategists and we see you part of the family and the lineage of this work. Do you all accept that premise? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Ill. <laughs> Thumbs up. That helps the <laughs> podcast listener a lot. So the first question we ask folks is, can you share some of the most important parts of your political lineage? And I'm really excited to hear how y'all answer this and really inviting the weaving of this answer, that it's not like each of you has to say, here's my four whole distinct lineages, but what feel like the lineages of this collective work that you've been doing as complex movements? I can start. Um, this is ill. I'll say, um, just to back up way, way back, is that um, many of us come from a lineage in music and know each other through making music together, being a part of music community together. So Wes and I go back to when we were teens and I was sneaking in the club and we were, you know, at the same showcases and open mics and all that. And um, we were such nerds back then. Like we used to have little book clubs with just the two of us and like meet up at the coffee shop to like read books about different spiritual practices and try to figure out, you know, I remember we uh, found Spook who sat by the door on your parents' bookshelf and went down that bunny hole, as my homie Marcus says. And like, just like thinking about just being lifelong thought partners in a way. And then uh, extended that to, you know, I'll just say like Wes and I and Wajid, who's also a member of Complex Movements, you know, all came up in Detroit, Southeast Michigan, like Ann Arbor, Ipsy kind of area, hip hop community, and um, were collaborators on on many different projects. And then around that time, crossed paths with Carlos, who was doing amazing, amazing work with young people um, at a youth center, learning, you know, beat making and music making, and also making incredible music and art and dancing, battle dancer and shit. And then we were able to connect with Sage, which I'll, I'll let Sage speak to that story because it's really special. Um, but in terms of like the framework that we approach the work through would really be something that probably started around, I would say like the mid aughts, like 05, 06, like I was in conversation with Grace Lee Boggs, who was a friend and mentor. And I was speaking to her about her experience in organizing liberation and movement building and she talked about something that she learned from the women's movement was that we can't focus on like patriarchal models of leadership where there's like charismatic leaders that give us these slogans that we follow but that we are instead like midwives who are supporting the birth of movements that are already emerging 
And when she said, we need to be more like midwives that support the birth of movements that are already emerging, it really sat with me in a deep way. And I couldn't get that phrase out of my head. It just kept rolling it over and over in the light and trying to understand it. And around that time, Wesley and I were starting a record label and media company, um, which our friend Mike co-founded with us. And we were looking for a name for that company. And so I was like, well, what about this word that Grace said, emerging or emergence? So I started researching the word emergence and came upon this Nova PBS science video where they broke down this science theory of emergence, where they broke down like the way that complex systems emerge through relationship and um, that the universe isn't only uh, decomposing, but also constantly emerging. And so that was like a million, you know, mind blown emojis going off at once. And I was able to start geeking out as usual with Wesley, but also with you, Adrian. And um, we were geeking out a lot about those ideas. And everywhere we went, there was like more and more ideas that kept sparking from it. And that led to around 2009, I received a fellowship to research those ideas. And so Adrian and myself and Wesley, along with several others, about 10 other folks, I think, convened in Chicago to have a conversation about these concepts. And we were just geeking out, like, how do these metaphors connect to social justice movements? Like, how how do the metaphors within emergence and complex systems become not like instructive to movements, but how do they help the movements that we've seen that have been most generative and um, beautiful and like counter to the movement practices we've seen that seem to self-perpetuate the same injustices we're trying to fight against. How do we uplift those models by poetically, metaphorically helping us see ourselves and have these symbols and metaphors and analogies to make meaning of our work in in more profound ways. And so we as complex movements came together to start making art and music and media and organizing processes through culture that allow for that to take root. And I think, Wes, you could probably break down the next chapter if we wanted to go linearly, but but maybe to go non-linearly, I'd love to hear from you, Sage, about like when you came in, what do you remember from how, how we kicked things off and, and the backstory to it? Yeah, I was in Detroit in 2012 uh, for a gathering by the Network of Ensemble Theaters called Microfest Detroit that was organized by one of my good friends and a podcast episode person, Ashley Sparks. And Ashley had curated the complex movements to do a talk slash workshop performance to share at the Microfest. And I was living in Atlanta, Georgia at the time and had been incubating similar ideas through a text called A Leadership of the New Science. And when they referenced the book, I actually had it in my bag while I was sitting in the audience and was doing that sort of 1980s movie, like, look, here's the book. Like I have it too. Uh, And was really excited to find folks who were thinking about quantum physics, not just from what it offers, like the, the kind of traditional science world, but what it means to think about all things being relational and what that means about the role of culture and transformation and justice and how that could be applied and used through work that feels yeah important i think um and when i think about sort of the political lineage of our work i think about the two tonys tony k bambara and tony morrison i don't think you can quote tony k bambara enough about the making revolution irresistible Um, Because I think one of the things that's always been important to us at Complex Movements is the aesthetics of the work and aesthetics being broader than like, does it look good? But really like, what does it, um, that there's an invitation to our work for everyone to 
to come to it, not just experience it, not just sit and watch it. And then I think about Toni Morrison and all of her talks about the gays. Like, who are you talking to? Like, are you clear about who you're talking to? And I think that we've always been pretty clear about who we were making work for, why we were making work, and who we wanted to be talking to and engaging with our work. Most Wes, anything you want to add to that? Um, I mean, I'll, I'll add a, like a couple of things. Just thinking about like political, personal, like political journeys or whatever, and like I, I might break it down into like three waves or like four waves. Where as a child growing up in Detroit, very young in middle school and elementary school, I feel like I grew up in a community, especially facilitated by my parents, but in a way that was like very much like rooted in black history, black education. I remember like my mom would train me and my brother for like black history contests at church and, okay. and would, would, dr <laughs> would drill us and would be very disappointed if we didn't win. You know, and, and so, like, I, I recall this because, like, even in, like, the Black church where we had, like, the Black history posters that I think were put out by, like, Coca-Cola or Budweiser or whatever, and we'll have, like, Mansa Musa on the wall along with, like, Carter G. Woodson and, and things like that. And, and, and those posters, like, have an impression in my brain. And I actually dug up a series of those posters in my, like, one of my parents' boxes, and I have those. And then... The second wave was in middle school in Ann Arbor, Michigan, in a relatively like mixed school of like nationalities and things like that, being this, you know, supposed melting pot that like Ann Arbor was in the 80s and 90s. But I had this radical teacher called Mr. Pipkin for fifth grade, I think. And he created like a whole nother level of like awareness and made sure that every student understood this lens of colonial white supremacist views of like history and education and took every chance to like bring that wall down and so like it would be really extreme like he would show us movies you know like he showed us like the Idi Amin documentary you know what I mean in fifth grade <laughs> and so that was an awareness that stuck with me since and so I started reading like Ivan Van Sertema, like when I was in fifth grade, you know what I mean? Like thinking about like Africa's influence on the Americas pre-European times and, mm -hmm. and what that meant. You know, I tried to understand that stuff at that time. And I would, you know, talk to my dad about like some of these things. And my dad would look at me like I'm crazy. Some of these. <laughs> and, and, and so like, I think that's like wave two. And then I think wave three goes back to a time when I think like me and Ill started to link and build. And I would say that's three slash four because I think me and Ill kind of built on a lot of things and like levels of awareness also unfolded for me. And I would say all kinds of conversations that me and Ill had just to like for growth coming up as like very, very young adults and conversations around like sexuality that I never had, you know what I'm saying, with my first conversations with ill, you know what I mean? And so that was one layer. And then I think the next layer was, once again, being like this conduit of like Grace's and Jimmy's teachings and some of the, the radical communities that were happening and the movements that were happening in Detroit are all like these informative ways of like my politics. Wow. I love that, Wes. Thank you. Well, yeah, spring is home. Super cool. Oh, this is Carlos talking again. Yeah, I'm over here like, wow, I never heard that. That's amazing. That's so cool. <laughs> you can see it on your face. Um, <laughs> when I think of this question, it's 
working with complex movements and being a part of complex movements was kind of the convergence of a lot of different parts of my life that had existed compartmentalized for years. Um, and in some ways, like full circle moments that I didn't even know, you know, were happening. Like, like I went to high school in Milford, Michigan, and the mascot of the high school at that time. And if you're not familiar with Milford, Michigan, it's like an hour outside of Detroit. It's at the time it was like on the rural end of suburban. Right. Um, and it wasn't the, the uh, smoothest place to grow up as a person of color. We'll put it that way. And the high school mascot was the Redskins and there was a push to change that mascot. And through that, I met Shay Howell, who's like a mentor of ills and all of ours really and um worked directly with shay as part of this process and there was a lot of pushback it was not easy you know my mom was involved so it was really amazing actually that that my mom was involved and i i kind of like left that situation and like went on with life and then didn't realize like years later until working with complex movements that like shay was involved in all of this other amazing work and so in some ways I'm like, oh, I was kind of like literally like a student of some of these, you know, philosophical ideas and and this lineage of, of work that was happening, you know, in Southeast Michigan. And to come back to the convergence point, so that was kind of the full circle. You know, I, did, I worked in youth education and did music education through that, was also like working a lot through music, figuring out how how do you have like value alignment with all the different things that you touch so that it's permeated so you don't feel like you're like splitting as a person mm-hmm. um, and being like one person in one spot and another person in another spot so that you could feel like you're maintaining authenticity and uh, and not like sacrificing and compromising things. And I feel like being involved with complex movements was an opportunity to learn from my collaborators on how to do that and also learn together, you know, even just rethinking, I'd say like, it's interesting to see how we were approaching or to look back at how we were approaching just even the idea of like a touring performing act back then and how we could maintain like accountability and, as best as we could. And I really, you know, credit all of y'all for prioritizing that and emphasizing how important that was um, to like be with community as we're like moving around and performing in different spots. Cause it's very easy for anyone who's been in performance or music or theater or any other aspects where you're like event-based things where you just kind of drop in and then leave to feel like the work you're doing is antithetical to some of the values that you have. And so that to me, being able to take a lot of the ideas that were being discussed at a community level and then make sure that that permeates through like the peripheral work and also like, you know, all aspects of it and having a principled approach that we're actually based on like, complex science principles and seeing how that could really strengthen every aspect of what you do, that to me was uh, life-changing. I think all of you have kind of alluded in different ways to this next question, but I, I want to ask it sort of explicitly, which is what are you practicing and where do you see emergent strategies showing up in those practices? And I know like from the early days of watching the collective that it really felt like everything was oriented around these performances and, and creating this performance space. And it feels like y'all have grown beyond that in so many ways. Like it's been exciting to watch the iterations and watch how you've all been able to grow up, 
you know, grow up together. So I would love to hear, yeah, how you do it? <laughs> how you do that? What are you practicing? Uh, I mean, I'll start. This is Wes. I feel like one thing just to acknowledge that complex movements as of right now, uh, this idea of growth, but then like just giving space where I feel like in some ways kind of looks like a hiatus or a pause moment for the group as far as if you were to look at it in a way of being productive in a prolific type of way. But there's still like, I feel like constant growing in that way. Um, but I also think that like the work that complex movement has done has been practiced for a lot of things that I'm doing, you know, now that are not necessarily complex movements, but very much complex movements. And I would say emergent strategy inspired. And I don't think some of these things that I'm engaged in now would have like the legs or the strength, or I would say the foundational anything um, structure to build in a way that they're building and growing. And I think being informed by those things gives me a lot of actually confidence. And I feel really, I feel really good and secure that it is not just me that understands some of these principles going into this work, but there's this shared language. And I think as complex movements, we spent time sharing this language of like these emergent strategy principles with other people and has been able to grow. So like very specifically, this was a thing that was born right after, I would say complex movements really started to launch the performances and things like that, but also like the, the emblems and things like that. Yeah. Uh, you know, one is the ant, the dandelion, mycelium, the fern, um, what's the last first starling? Oh, the starling. Yes, yeah. thank you. So I'll be studying. I'll be yeah. studying, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> you know, just to just to go into the development of that, which was like a several year process, right? Uh -huh. And and Adrian, you, I mean, you were there from the very beginning of like, you know, round tables, uh, converging people making commitments to return to these ideas after we sat down and tried to hash out as much as we could, knowing that these ideas were really big and then keep hashing it out in a committed way over a period of time until like, I think we felt like we got it right. You know what yeah. I mean? There was no rush into like developing these ideas. And I think understanding that in some ways that was a design process and I'm trained as a designer but this was a design process that prioritized time over mm. anything. And I think that prioritization of time, getting it right, considering all the variables as much as we could, right? It's, I mean, it's still not perfect in an imperfect system, but in, in, in a lot of ways, it is one of the most thorough design processes I've ever been involved with. Um, and so... I use those lessons moving into the future, knowing what kind of time it actually takes to be intentional and fully considerate. And mm. what really creates, in some ways, you know, we were creating a, um, a language system, we were creating an icon system, we were creating a series of like logos, we were creating like the series of branding, but they were also like letters in, a, in an alphabet. And so, I see the depth of all of that when people spend time with them and then try to put them into the world and there are multiple people that are rooted in those ideas, then I feel like a lot can happen. Um, and you don't have to say a lot in order for those things to happen. Yeah. Beautiful. Thank you. I'll jump in because you, you've got me thinking about a couple of things, Wes, and this is this is sage and this is kind of how we roll. Uh, you know, someone says something like, oh, now I, this is what I'm thinking. Both kind of chunks of the way I heard what you said, Wes, makes me think about the generating more possibility, both in the, in the what it means for us to be a collective and also all have individual practices and to come back and forth across in between and over all of those things, whether they lay together or were 
you know, not doing work or making something together in the moment, but also growing and learning new things and wanting to bring new ideas or even a new self, a new positionality to the collective, you know, and there's space and there's room in complex movements for all of that, you know. I mean, even in the beginning, you heard of some of like I named real specifically and then other, and Wes is like, ah, I don't know what I'm going to name us. All right. Like, you know, we, there's room for, for all, all of us to continue to both be together and also grow practices that in many ways are, for, for I will say for me, artistically born out of what it means to have spent years with these brilliant artists and um, been inspired in so many ways. And then when I think about generating more possibility around um, what it means to have a strong design process and frame which I feel like I talk about a lot in my life, period. Like once, you know, for Beware the Dandelions, the work that we we toured together and the emblems, where the emblems were, were probably the most visible, you know, you could see, you know, what we meant by Wavicle inside the performance. You could see it in how we interacted with community. You could see it in how, um, who and where the, the work moved. You could see it in how we thought about resource development. You could see it in how we got together to create artistically. Like these things were fundamental in sort of how we framed different actions, different interactions. And we kept and continued to do that throughout the time. And I think we still do in a lot of ways. Like there's principles that guide us in the development of work we've done since then. This is Carlos talking. It's, I think that, you know, what you said, both Wes and Sage about having experienced that very intentional design process definitely informs how I approach a lot. Um, and, you know, from a, personal level, I'm probably, if we're talking just the idea of emergence, I'm operating on a very local level right now, <laughs> you know, localized interactions. Um, and uh, from a practice standpoint, like very much like hunkered down, like fine tuning, like technical aspects of, of, how, of what I've, what I've been working on for, you know, a couple decades now. Um, I think what Sage you mentioned about the idea of like where our roles are shifting moving forward that's really important and when I was talking about principles I was actually referring to the emblems which is one of the things that was so cool is that we made these emblems that were very graphical they had a lot of wonderful metaphors associated with them and at the core there were the principles like guiding how we did everything um, and something that we could return to and so to have them be both present, like Sage was saying, in a visual and sonic way, and then also in a way that you could see it reflected in actions was, was cool. And when I was saying earlier, too, about how much I learned with the group, it's also the, how we were responding to like all of the lessons that we learned in working on, that, on Beware the Dandelions, which was a really big project, right? It took, a, I mean, it took at least six years I know that's how, like about how long I was working on it, and as a as an idea, it was already stewing, you know, with Bill and Wes and Wajid before Sage and I started getting involved in like 2012. And with that, we all worked in like really intense ways. Like I was like essentially like a technical director and like did all the tech stuff and had to kind of put some other hats that I might have been interested to the side. It was like lyricist performer extraordinaire even though like they have all these other things that they're interested in and really good at and we all kind of fell into that way so afterwards i think we were all a little like and i'm kind of like tired of doing that um <laughs> i appreciate all of y'all and like I, you know i need a second to like not be the hat that i've had to be to like keep this thing going and just thinking about what sustainability means right mm. um like we talked a lot about scale and beware the dandelions was a massive project and then you think about like what is the impact that that had like how many people can experience this thing what are mm. the you know economic impacts the accessibility of it on various scales 
I think all of those things where you start working on an idea and then it kind of at a certain point, you're working with as much intention as you can and it's run away from you to a certain degree, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, yeah. I think that, that there have been some years of reflecting on what that experience has been and then how we want to move forward with anything else that we do in all of those different categories. And so how it shows up is the same principles that we may have been looking to in that project, then how do we respond to what comes out of it moving forward? And like with all the love, care, respect, you know, appreciation of each other and, and everyone involved, you know, beyond even like the immediate group so that we can kind of, you know, feel just as fulfilled in whatever we move forward with. Beautiful. You know, I can't think of a particular example to add because there's so many ways that it's just like the water we're swimming in because these principles are so embodied for us at this point. But I just want to geek out in a different direction, which is like, what are the differences and overlaps between the emergent strategy principles and the complex movements emblems? I'm so curious, like, because Sage, you, you're in both complex movements and part of Emergent Strategy Ideation Institute and like are training people on the principles, the emergent strategy principles and have trained people on the complex movements like emblems and like Adrian, I know that like you had your process of creating the principles like in connection to like Octavia Butler's work and writing and and like all your experience as an incredible movement facilitator. And then we were creating the emblems in the context of like our cultural strategy and the context of trying to create this like immersive performance experience that that could help people imagine a radically different way of of organizing the liberation so like I don't know I'm just curious like what y'all's thoughts are on that especially like the two of you who know the principles and and the emblems real well like do you see them as like one and the same or do you see them as different because like when you ask how they show up that's where my mind kind of went Yeah. Well, I mean, it's true. You know, what's so interesting to me is when I was working on the book, initially I had seven elements and the seven elements lined up very well. Like when you all sent over the emblems, I was like, this lines up really well. I ended up choosing to combine transformative justice and resilience to end up with six of them. But I feel like that there's a deep overlap. And I think that that's, to me, one of the you know, kind of going back to the lineage question, I think that's one of the most beautiful aspects of emergent strategy is it's in the earth. Emergence is all around us. And there are these core ways that it shows up, like the ferns, <laughs> the mycelium, that like if you start tuning into this, I think all of a sudden it becomes very clear who the core teachers are. And I remember, um, like it was yesterday, the being like, y'all, these emblems have to be in the book, like people have to understand, even at this state, you know, I felt very aware already that there's just this thing that happens where people are like, oh, we're going to only, we're going to be like, oh, this person created this thing. And it was like, that's not how things like this work. An idea of this scale is always emerging in multiple places at the same time. And even if some ways it was like bubbling up at the purple house, it was also bubbling up in all these different people across space and time, <laughs> you know? So to me, there's a ton of overlap. And now there's some places, I think Wavical is one that I was really happy that y'all made it into an emblem. It felt like the biggest stretch and it it always feels like kind of the hardest thing to help people practice and understand that like, especially in facilitation, I'm like, there's this thing that's happening where if you're trying to hold one thing, you will not be able to touch the other but that doesn't mean they're not coexisting. <laughs> and I felt like y'all, like, I don't know anyone who's been able to make that more clear than the way y'all presented it with the wavical emblem. So yeah, I think there's a ton of overlap. What do you think, Sage? Yeah, I think there's a lot of overlap. I think that when I think about the distinction and is what's forward, 
Like when I think about the emblems, the emblems feel metaphor forward and the principles and elements of emergent strategy are sort of language forward to metaphor and mm-hmm. the, the principles are metaphor to language. And so it's like, how, how does the mind process and what then does that lead folks to build and understand in different ways? So I think of them as, as um, sort of siblings in some ways, even like a wavicle themselves, right? Like, how do how do both of those be held and and that both of those can be held um, at the same time and it depends upon what lens you lean towards is what door that feels clearest to get to not just the metaphor or the explanation or the language but to action. Mm, mm-hmm. That's a great observation. Yeah, she like boiled that down to really good, concise. <laughs> <laughs> for sure i would say i don't know what you would compare the metaphor of the wave particle duality or wavicle which we talk about uncertainty and doubt and the importance of valuing process as much as if not more than like the outcome or product like which emergent strategy principle would you relate that to i mean i think that that's nonlinear and iterative work and it's the way that people are trained is like, let's always have a plan, a strategic plan that we're moving along and like linearly getting ourselves to some place. And the place is the point. And I feel like always trying to be like, actually, it's okay to be in this nonlinear process where things grow, they come apart. That coming apart doesn't mean it's not growing. It might be an expansion, um, which is a little bit of what I'm hearing and what y'all are saying now that like there was a period of really intense process And then now it feels like that intense process is allowing y'all to each expand into different directions, which is awesome. But the nonlinearity of it is like, it wasn't like you set out with that intention. It was like, when we were present in this way, we were present in this way. And then something else becomes possible. And it's always felt like a, a deep longing to me of like, what would it look like for movements to practice in that way? And I don't know if you remember this ill, but in the book, The Revolution Will Not Be Funded, Paola Rojas wrote that essay, Are the Cops in Our Heads or Our Hearts, and talked about how movements worked in Latin America, where it was like, they come into form as they're needed, and then come out of form, and then they come into form, and it's not like you can linearly like build a movement, right? But it's like, it comes as it's needed, dissipates, comes as it's needed, dissipates, and that like, all of that is the process, Right. All of that is the process. Also a big part of what I took, what I learned from uh, that piece and a lot of that, that work that Paula was, was talking about in that piece was about building dual power. The idea yeah. of both having, you know, strategy that is about, you know, dismantling the state and strategy that's about building the world that we want to see simultaneously, exactly. building, building power in both of those regards with an emphasis on building the power building the, the world that we want to see, but that we simultaneously also have to disrupt and dismantle um, the oppressive systems that are in the way of that world. You know they call me the night queen. For folks who did not get to experience Beware of the Dandelions, it is such an incredible piece. (laughs) You know, like it's one of the things I'm like, oh, because that feels like the cultural experience of that was people had to come in and be like, what are you, what are you going to do if you're given this binary set of options? And how do you from that make a multitude of options for how to be in community? I think there's so much power in the cultural work that y'all have done over this period of time. And yeah, I mean, I hope, you know, I always feel like y'all are such a beautiful example of what it looks like to do this work. And, you know, hearing about where y'all are in this iteration, the last question that we have for y'all is actually about the questions you're sitting in. And so maybe that would be a place to take this is like, you already brought one, which is like, what is this overlap? (laughs) But what are questions that you're holding in your own life, in your own creative process, as a collective, are there questions that you're sitting with now? I think part of, this is Sage, part of why I'm sitting with it, because I feel like I have so, I feel like I have nothing but questions. 
right now and am seeking and engaging in conversations and reaching out to folks to get some grounding in this moment, to understand the moment that we're in so I can have a hypothesis for, for, for what change looks like in this moment. There's something, you know how you have that moment where you're like, there's something there. Is that paprika? I don't know, but I taste it, right? Like there's <laughs> something, I can't tell what it is. Um, and I feel like that's just a space I'm in, like finding finding an actual question for it. Um, but we are, what I believe, and this is still true of, of the way we envy where the dandelions and, and Grace, the little shares about Grace and Hospice, saying like we are at a time when humanity is at a transition that that isn't just like from one year to the next, but really an evolutionary moment. And if we are in an evolutionary moment, what feels necessary and helpful? Mm. I have a question, but that's what I'm sitting with a lot these days. Yeah, that's great. This is Carlos. Yeah, I think we all have a lot of questions. I'm pretty sure like that is most likely a true statement. I think what comes top of mind to me, as t- my life goes on, I become more and more acutely aware of how precious time is. And the question that came to mind just in the last couple of minutes, like, oh, if I have one question, what is it? Is like, how do I be there for myself so that I could be there for other people? And like, what's the balance of that? Because nothing feels really sustainable if I'm not making sure that I'm like a healthy person, like Mm. mind, body, and soul. Yeah. And so how much is the right amount? How much is too much? My own answer is like, it's really hard to have too much (laughs) self-care, but, (laughs) but, um, yeah, I'd say that's that's the big one because I I know when I don't take care of myself then I'm not really showing up for other people in a yeah. way that that feels right. Yeah. That's really good. This is Wes. And so I guess the a question is that I've been asking myself from what I've already witnessed in doing this work and seeing what has happened. So I feel like I've witnessed some very lofty questions be asked, very brave questions be asked. And I've seen a response to these questions that I thought would never, there would never even be a response to some of these questions in my lifetime. And I've, I've seen that with the other practice that I feel like is in parallel to what we're talking about, but was definitely seeded by, I would say, think the thinking of grace, but like, you know, all of it, like emergent strategy was also in this pot of this development of just not like the science ideas, but the science fiction ideas, yeah. right? Um, at this time, you know, the awareness of, say, Octavia Butler and her writing, which I think there was a diving deep into, like, both of these things, which I think prior to the development of, like, these metaphors and ideas was still seeded by this strong push for, like, radical imagination coming from the minds of, in the writing of Octavia Butler, the philosophy of a grace. And so, thinking about those tools of radical imagination mixed with like really important questions i've seen like what can i say the compression of time for those things to go out and then come back and those things were science fiction questions that came back not as science fiction anymore for instance like when i first started hearing about societies without police right those were like echoes that nobody was talking about on a on a public sphere, right? And then I could see and I could track the time when I first started hearing people talk about these existences that were foreign to me. And then I got down with the idea 
and I start that settled in. When it settled in with me, I was like, well, that's cool. I'm I'm down to help like think this through and then work this through. But I was like, you know, I don't know when the world is actually going to talk about these things. Like, these are the fringiest of fringe ideas in my mind. They became part of a national discourse that became mainstream, which was incredible to me. And so that's just one example, I think, of many that I've seen, you know, being engaged in this work. So the question that I'm asking is like, how do I question more precisely and more powerful, like fiction um, and imagination and hone both of those things and then train myself because like before we were talking about us practice and exercise and I'm like, no, these things actually work. So how do I become more precise? And then how do I like train more people in these ideas or make people become aware of like this power in some ways by like, you know, talking about some of the things that I've been witness to in, in, in doing this work and to be like, we could do this tenfold. You know what I mean? It was like Octavia was telling us we can do this a, a billion fold if we really want to. You know, Grace was saying we can do this on like a earth scale, a universe scale if we really want to. And so to me, it's like, how do I how do I train myself in doing that? for a next phase or a next wave of, of things that complex movements does. Brilliant. I love that. I'll say for me personally, I've been sitting with a lot of grief lately because of some real heartbreaks in our movements um, and communities. And I'm sitting with questions related to how to be value and principle driven, like how, how does my life and work come from a place of principles, whether that's disability justice or abolitionist feminism and like the principles and politics that come with all of that. And then simultaneously, like not practice a political purity that further like isolates or further puts us in a position where our communities are repeatedly estranged from one another. And I've, I've witnessed, you know, particularly intentions around like those questions that I'm, I'm repeatedly coming back to relationships are at the center, but they can't come at the expense of our values and principles. So it's just like a tension and a contradiction that I'm faced with a lot more often lately than I expected to be. Um, I thought that some of these recent challenges that we started off the episode talking about would put us in a position to come closer and, and navigate these tensions with more elegance and, and more uh, openness to grow and change. But some people have doubled and tripled down in old ways of thinking or in, in stuck ways of, of being. And so I'm trying to not be on a high horse about it, but just be really curious and like keep asking myself and challenging myself to like figure out like what is the larger conversation? What is the larger opportunity here for healing, for growth? Um, And maybe there will still be loss of relationship and loss of, you know, community institutions and loss of opportunities for for power building but um hopefully in the long run there'll be some some lessons and growth that will move us closer to that radical imagination place that Wes was just describing yeah for sure i hope so is there anything y'all feel like you didn't get asked or you wanted to talk about that you're like wait our collective is doing this this whole thing that we forgot to mention or anything like that I mean, we're collaborating closely with uh, Sawatu Salama Ra on a really exciting multimedia project, which includes like a film that um, she's co-directing with uh, two amazing journalists from the Detroit Free Press are involved with it. And um, we're working on some of the experimental elements of that project. And we also are going to develop some of that into other immersive performance and installation work with her but that's all like 
long-term, very process-based work that's led by her and however her storytelling is connected to her healing and like the the overall like abolitionist movement work that um, her and the Freedom Team are doing, which I'm also a collaborator of. And then in general, complex movements right now is like in a phase of like conversation and writing. I feel like Wes and Sage have been doing a ton of writing um, and thinking and like putting out ideas in the world. And we have a bunch of like conversations that we've been having over the last few years since the pandemic hit that we're hoping to get out aspects of in a more public way. Yeah. Beautiful. Well, thank you all so much for your time, for all the labor you've put into this collective work for this past decade plus, and for everything y'all have created and brought into the world. It's incredible. And yeah, for continuing to just be like a bright shining light of what it looks like to do art art and activism and, and change the world. This podcast is produced by Marie Orozco. Production coordination is by Aliana Coelho. Transcription is by Hannah Pepper Cunningham. Music for the Emergent Strategy Podcast is provided by Hooray for the Riffraff from their album, Life on Earth. To support the ongoing work of ESII, make a donation at alliedmedia.org forward slash ESII.